So before we get started, there is a trigger warning for this episode as we are talking about eating disorders. So if you feel that you're struggling with your relationship with food and you're wanting to seek help, a great place to start is the Butterfly Foundation or with your doctor or an eating disorder specialized health professional. Hello and welcome to the Embody Health Podcast, where Kira and Meg, your dietitian BFFs. We're here to help you break free of diet culture, become besties with food, and find peace with your body. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Embody Health Podcast. You're here with your Embody Health dietitians, Kia and Meg. And in today's episode, we're busting five common myths in nutrition. The first one being gluten. Meg, take it away. Is gluten even okay for us to eat? Okay, so social media would have you believe that gluten is evil. Inflammatory. Inflammatory, (laughs) um, going to cause autoimmune disease, all types of things. If you don't have celiac disease, um, gluten should be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a very, very small segment of the population that has non-celiac uh, gluten intolerance. But even that, it's not like there's a bit of a controversy around it because there's other things in wheat that can potentially cause some gut symptoms. So, for example... Wheat contains fructans, which are a type of fermentable carbohydrate, also known as a FODMAP. And this can sometimes cause a little bit of bloating, maybe some gut symptoms in people who are sensitive to fructans or who eat large quantities of wheat. The other thing is that gluten-containing foods are maybe eaten in certain combinations with other foods that may cause you to not feel amazing. Let's say if you smashed a massive bowl of Italian carbonara pasta, maybe you wouldn't feel amazing afterwards. And it can be easy to just blame it on gluten, but there's just, yeah, there's so many other factors and we know that gluten is, should not be inflammatory, shouldn't cause any issues unless you have celiac disease. And we generally find that if you do exclude gluten from your diet, like gluten containing foods, it can actually be worse for your gut microbiome as well, because the foods that we find like that are gluten containing there are so many more whole grains which are gluten containing which are fantastic for your body and especially for for your gut because they feed all the different gut bacteria inside of us which we know that gut health is a very very important part of having being healthy overall yep There is also research to suggest that when you cut out a food like wheat from your diet, the bacteria that would normally be involved with digesting that uh, dies off or reduces. So then when you go to reintroduce it again in the future, you can struggle to tolerate it. But if someone wants to reintroduce gluten into their diet and say, for example, they have now listened to this episode of the podcast (laughs) and they're like, hey, wow, I've excluded gluten, but maybe it's actually okay for me to have... What do you feel like they should do? What are your recommendations? I would say you just want to start small and then try to uh, reduce the risk of anything else interfering with the process. So um, don't make any other drastic changes with your diet or lifestyle at the same time. Don't randomly start a probiotic, etc. at the same time. You could try just introducing a slice of toast at breakfast and see how you go. And you may like to keep a food and symptom diary, even a food mood and symptom diary, because you know that our mood can affect our digestion and our gut health to assess the change and try and keep it as scientific as possible. We say test, don't guess. 
Yeah. So all in all, gluten is okay for you to have unless you are celiac, in which case you shouldn't have it. Yeah. That it completely excludes gluten from your diet and please work with your doctor and I'd say probably a dietitian as well in order to do that. And PS actually, a last bit we want to add is if you think you have an issue with gluten and you haven't been tested for celiac disease, it is definitely worthwhile to be tested. And that's something you can ask from your doctor um, or speak to your dietitian, even if you're unsure about if that's the right pathway for you. Um, But saying that to get a proper testing of celiac disease, you do actually need to be eating gluten for the test to be accurate. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So myth number two is all about carbs. Are carbs the devil? Do they inherently cause weight gain? Kia, please take us through this. So I find this really interesting because I think, you know, if you look on social media, you'll have all these people saying carbohydrates are the enemy. Don't don't eat carbs. Follow a low carb diet. You know, carbs contain sugar. They're going to make you gain weight. And then if you look at another area of social media, you'll find the opposite. You'll find that fats are the enemy. Don't eat fats. So it can be really, I guess, difficult when we're on the internet and seeing all these different points of, you know, nutrition. And like, you know, people have different views on nutrition all the time. It gets very overwhelming. All in all, though, carbs are completely fine for you. So when we think about carbohydrates, they're actually the body's main fuel source. So it's actually the body's primarily and preferred fuel source and the brain's only fuel source. So when we think about how carbs work in the body, so carbohydrates are found in foods like bread, rice, cereal products, fruit, yogurt, milk, Um, they we eat them. So chomp, 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 eat your slice of bread. They break down in to our bloodstream into things called glucose, so little glucose molecules. So your body actually always has a constant level of glucose all the time. When you get that feeling of being a bit shaky or tired or dropping in energy, that's often a sign that your body's glucose levels are getting lower. Like Meg's about 10 minutes ago before she had a (laughs) banana to eat. I was like, oh, there's no way I'm moving this episode without some carbs. Exactly, exactly. And she ate a banana, a carbohydrate. so yeah, again, during long periods without food, that's all in Meg's case, an hour, two hours without <laughs> food. Everyone's different though. Um, your blood sugar levels can drop, your blood glucose levels drop. And what carbohydrates do is they help actually replenish those glucose levels. So example of Meg, she just ate a banana and now her glucose levels are up again and she's feeling pretty good. Feeling a lot more smiley yeah, than I was. Yeah, exactly. And The body can run off other fuel sources. So, for example, in things like ketogenic diets where they don't have um, any carbohydrates or a very low amount of carbohydrates, your body can shift into using fats as energy. However, it's not preferred for your body. Your body would prefer to use um, carbs as energy. And so we generally find, especially in the research, that people can't stay on low carb diets long term and um, because it's quite unsustainable it doesn't really work well with the social life either if you want to go out to italian or get pizza or pasta or not very sustainable not very sustainable and also like a lot of the research especially with ketogenic diets and i know this is a bit of a different tangent is focused on children with epilepsy so not really recommended for kind of general population 
The other issue with cutting carbohydrates out of your diet, which we kind of alluded to in number one, is it really reduces the amount of um, prebiotics that you can eat. Mm -hmm. So when we think about, again, building a healthy and good gut, the the main fuel for your gut health is prebiotics, um, which is found in a lot of carbohydrate-based foods. So things like your fruits and your whole grains, they're fantastic for your gut health. So not only do you have a higher risk of, you know, not feeling great in energy levels because you've cut carbs out, but you can also start to negatively impact your gut microbiome as well, which can have a wealth of other impacts. Yeah, definitely. And one element that I'll add to this discussion as well is glycogen. So uh, carbs that aren't used in your bloodstream for your blood sugars are stored in the muscles and liver as glycogen. And glycogen is essentially um, something that's important when you're doing explosive movements or exercise. It just helps with energy production, to put it simply. Glycogen, when it's stored in the body, is stored alongside water. And this can increase your water weight and make you feel like you're maybe retaining a bit more water. And this is completely healthy and natural and a good thing. But it is partially why people who go on low-carb diets feel like they lose weight really rapidly in the beginning because they're actually losing some water weight that's associated with that glycogen that's being stored otherwise. Yeah, so if you want the full biochemical breakdown of it, like what we said at the start, you eat carbohydrates like your slice of bread gets stored, uh, gets um, broken down into glucose that's hanging out in your bloodstream, and then that gets processed and stored in your liver and muscle as glycogen. And then the reverse, when say for example you've decided to go on a ketogenic diet and you stopped eating carbs, that you don't have any of those glucose in your bloodstream, your body starts to break down that glycogen and breaks it back into glucose um, but in the process of doing that your glycogen stores reduce um, and then water is lost as well which is why we see people who go on low-carb diets are like oh, I lost five kilos mm. this week it's do it's going so well yeah when in actual fact it's just water shifts I have had uh, some clients struggle with the feeling of retaining water when they start reintroducing carbs into the diet um, But as we talked about in our body image episodes, we've got a couple in this season, uh, you can challenge this with the fact that it is healthy and natural and it is something that is positive. Mm -hmm, Definitely. So do you want to chat about number three, exercise? Should we be doing fasted exercise? I feel like this is a great topic to flow on from the carbs chat. So as we've just established, we need carbs we need, you know, sugars in our bloodstream and we need glycogen stored in our muscles to help with movements. If we're going into exercise under fueled, we're not going to be performing at our best. I do understand that some people will exercise really early in the morning and not have an appetite. If you do have any amount of time before training and you can have a small carbohydrate-based snack, I would still recommend it just to make sure that you're sugar levels are topped up because while we're sleeping, we're not eating. So you're starting the day without much fuel in the tank. If we want to think about it as a car analogy, we need petrol in the car for it to keep going. Food is, food is fuel. Um, and so 
there's a yeah there's a lot on social media about fasted exercising helping with fat loss etc etc across the 24 hour period across the day it does not make a difference so if that's the main reason that you're trying to do exercise fasted to help with fat burning or fat loss it doesn't even help so i don't recommend it anyway (laughs) and also like if you're say for example like comparing going into an exercise better fueled compared to not going into exercise well fueled when you are fueled, you're going to be able to perform better. So mm-hmm. chances are you're actually going to have a harder workout. Yeah. Um, what are the best sources of foods that they can, like high load, uh, high GI carbs mm-hmm. that people should be eating before they exercise in the morning? Yeah, that's a great question. So you want to think about foods that don't take a long time to digest. So these will be quicker digesting carbohydrate rich foods that aren't very high in fiber and aren't very high in fat. Probably okay if they have a bit of protein, depending on how long you have before the workout. And this will be customized to each person. So some people can stomach eating a bar 10 minutes before training. Someone else will feel sick. So you will need to find out what works for you. But some examples of really easy sources is like a banana or some dates, really quick options, maybe a oat-based muesli bar, um, an oatmeal or banana-based fruit smoothie, um, some peanut butter on toast, maybe if you've got a bit longer, cause there is some fat in that, but perhaps you've got an hour before your training session and you want to have something that takes a bit longer to digest. And as someone who also does struggle with eating before exercise in the morning, I personally even just try having juice, mm. like a cup of orange juice has yep. heaps of carbs in it. And it's a lot easier to digest than food sometimes, especially if you're new to eating before exercise. Yep. Great tip. So myth number four is the idea that you should only eat when you are hungry. Kia, please take this away. So I feel like this so simplifies things. Um, And I guess like I've had quite a few clients that come and see me and they're like, oh, I'm just trying to only eat when I'm hungry and it's, it's not really working. So there are some basics that you need to have down pat before you can only eat when you're hungry. So the first thing is if you don't eat regularly at the moment and by eating regularly, we're talking about having breakfast, lunch, dinner, morning tea and afternoon tea, you're not going to have appetite signals at that time. So if you routinely um, skip breakfast, you're not going to feel like breakfast. So that generally happens with all of our appetite signals. If we over a period of time don't listen to our appetite signals, they're not going to be there. And so we can't really, unfortunately, trust our hunger and full or hunger signals if, if we're just not eating regularly to begin with. So that's probably one of the, the biggest things I'd say to start off with is just start that pattern of eating regularly. Um, there's other things as well that can influence our hunger as well that can make it a little bit different. So, for example, if you're having a lot of coffee, coffee is an appetite suppressant. So you may not feel hungry, but you have enough energy to kind of go through the day because it's caffeine. Mm. Um, also, if you're really stressed or you've got a lot on and you're kind of going from this to this and, you know, maybe doing a lot of work, that adrenaline, again, pumping through you can suppress our appetite as well. So mm. we're just not feeling hungry until maybe the end of the day and we feel like we want to eat everything in sight because yep. our hunger's um, added up. Or even exercise as well. After a big training session, it's very, very important to eat and very important to have a protein-rich meal to help replenish those muscles. And we might not feel hungry at all. So yes, it is 
good to try eat when you are hungry but that only works if you have a few of the basics down pat like eating regularly and aware of your hunger level scale your hunger signals which we did an episode on in number episode four are you in tune with your hunger and fullness so have a listen to that um uh and then just being aware that yes your hunger can still change um each day depending on what's happening yep so when we think about intuitive eating because being in tune with the hunger and fullness is part of that it does still incorporate practical nutrition and sometimes eating for practical reasons even when you're not hungry like you were describing one example i think of which a lot of people may find relevant at the moment is the impact of being sick on your appetite because so many people will have reduced appetite with covid or with the flu i remember when i had covid i lost my sense of taste and smell and it was so hard to eat but I knew that I had to eat regularly and eat enough protein and all of these different foods to help with recovery. And that is practical nutrition, even when you're not feeling hungry. And to be honest, I've had a week of people saying they're not hungry at the moment. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the weather. And it can be really hard to force yourself to eat when you're not hungry. But the one thing that I always recommend is even if you're not able to eat your meals, try not to skip your meals. If you're not feeling hungry, still try and eat regularly, even if that means you're not going to eat everything. Yeah. And there's strategies like using liquid nutrition. Mm -hmm. So smoothies and soups or things that are blended take less time to chew adding protein powders or extra you know fats and things to make them more nutritious Mm -hmm, definitely so last question should we only choose the low calorie options so you know say i go to the shop should i always choose the coke zero coke zero oh my gosh choose the coke zero over the full strength coke or if i go out you know to a restaurant should i be choosing the salad over the wrap yeah I feel like logically many of us should be able to say, well, no, like choosing the lowest calorie option isn't necessarily better. But I do think there is still like a very strong mindset of lower calorie options being healthier or being better, especially with anyone who has concerns with their body image or is regularly going on diets. There can be, even if it's subconscious, the belief that lower calorie options are better um but when we think about it calories are energy our body needs energy for fuel throughout the day and um low calorie options are not going to give us very much energy so that can lead to us feeling dissatisfied after a meal and it could be that you feel physically unsatisfied so you feel still hungry or even mentally unsatisfied so you didn't necessarily really enjoy the meal so it's really important to be choosing meals that keep you feeling satisfied between eating occasions rather than choosing lower calorie options as being the healthiest Mm -hmm. and we've got to remember that you know our body knows how many calories we need every day and is way better at predicting that than my fitness pal Mm -hmm. or any sort of calorie counting app and so yeah you may be having a higher calorie meal than maybe you are used to or you used to allowing yourself to But your body may be fuller for a longer period of time after eating that as well. And it's about trusting that your body knows how much food you need um, each time. And if we only go for the low calorie option, then we're not really giving it that opportunity. Yeah. 
And as a bit of a disclaimer, there will be people who feel like probably feel like they can't trust their bodies to know and that maybe if you struggle with a history of disordered eating or an eating disorder in which case it always comes back to please work with your healthcare team being a doctor dietitian and psychologist to help with establishing that and it may be that you do have a bit more structure or a bit more meal planning at the beginning because if you've been selecting the lowest calorie options for a really long time it can feel really confusing to know what to actually eat Exactly. Well, I hope you've all enjoyed this episode of the Embody Health podcast. If you have enjoyed it, don't forget to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you feel like this episode could help a friend or family member, please share it with them. We would always appreciate your support. We can't wait to see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye.